0: This week's broadcasts are sponsored by the Finkelstein family of Petak Tikva in memory of Avraham Ben Hillel Finkelstein and Rafael Yuda Aryeh Ben Israel who's your outside's for this week. This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a share of Harav mm-hmm. Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, from the Major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Halaftavori. We are going to continue today with the Chuvos of Rabbi Yitzhak HaNan Specter. Last week I mentioned that a new volume of Chuvos recently came out. Chuvos that were found and not printed or printed in journals that were assembled by Machon Yerushalayim. In conjunction with Yeshiva University, which of course is named, the Yeshiva, yeshiva Rabbi Yitzhak al-chanan, is named for Rabbi Yitzhak Archanan. In the introduction to the volume, Machon Yerushalayim wrote that they plan to print all the svarim of Rabbi Yitzhak al-chanan in a newer, more modern edition, together with all kinds of uh, comments made by Gdol Yisrael throughout the ages since Rabbi Yitzhak al-chanan. In the library of, Yeshiva, of Yeshivat HaRetzion, which I use, I did not find the new edition, a new edition of Be'er Yitzchak. I'm not sure if it came out yet or not, but in the meantime, we'll still use the, ish, the volume of Be'er Yitzchak of Rabbi Khanan that was printed many years ago and has no uh, notes at all, no uh, footnotes and no comments. In tshuva number chaf of our Chaim, Brabitzul was asked a question which comes up very often today in many, many shuls. A person came to shul late on a day where they were davening where there was Shachwis and Musaf. The person came to the shul when the shu, when the congregation was up to Musaf, but he had not Davin Shahwis. Should he Daven Musaf with the community? And then afterwards Daven Shachhwis by himself, in order to fulfill the kingdom of Tzvila Sibur. The question posits the assumption that nothing should be done before Yudav and Shachris. In terms of the Karban HaTamid, Shachris is parallel to the Karban Tamid, we know that you Karban Tamid opens the morning in the Beis HaMiknash, and nothing should be done before the Karban Tamid. And here, what you're going to do is bring the carbon Musaf, as it were, before the carbon Tamid, as it were, or Tefillah Shachris. This tshuva has three anafim in it, three sections. The first section, he already explains what his decision was. And he begins right away by saying that I think you should in Musaf with the community, even if you did not in Shachris yet. The fact is that you should not do anything before the Shachris, he says, that's a Adin Lechatechila. But, Bediyeved, it is kasher, if you brought the Karbim Tamed after the Karbim Musaf, and therefore, they did not say that you could not have Musaf before Shachris, because it's not a cave, even in Karbanos. And he brings a proof to that, and then he says, no matter what, even if you're really not allowed to do anything before the carbon tamid, certainly if you did, the carbon would be accepted. Therefore, he explains that he feels that you should daven musaf with the community and only afterwards daven shachris by yourself. In the second anaf, he calls it Yerushalmi. And here, there he suggests a pshat and Yerushalmi and then rejects it. The Yushami has a case when a person came had already Daven Shachris. He came to Shul and he saw they were Davinim Musaf. He should have a Musaf with the community. However, if he did not Davin Shachris and they were Davinim Masaf, so the Yushami says, if he knows that he'll begin and continue and finish in order to answer Amen, then he should Davin. If not, then he should not daven with him. And then the Hushami discusses which amen we're talking about. So he said, at first glance, there's a distinction between the first case and the second case. In the first case, where he davened shachris already, and now he's having musaf, there's no stipulation how far he has to continue to catch up to the seaboard. It doesn't say that if he, fin- he has to finish, etc. Apparently, that's considered tefillah Sibur, since he's davening musaf when they're davening musaf, so it's considered tefillah Sibur. Since it's considered tefillah it's like any other person who daven's longer than the than the than the shleach tzibur, than the, the whole kehilah. Once he begins to daven, fine. However, in the second part where there's a stipulation, how far does he get until they end? So then, it's apparently referring to the case where he daven's. Musaf with them, where he daven shachris with them, and he is not yotzei tefila betzibur even if he were daven Musaf with them. Rabbi assumed that there is no way that a person could in shachris and Yod be yotzei tefila if the community is davening Musaf. So therefore, it must be that they're davening. Musaf together, but still, it's not considered Tefillah Betsibur. It's not unless he has a way to continue, and and before them. So then, it's not so bad. Why can't you say it's Tefillah Betsibur like in Shachris? Apparently, it's not considered Tefillah Betsibur. But or they then the Rabbi Zulchanan says no. It can't be the Pshat. He's not davening shachris then because if he's davening shachris then then there's no way that we would allow him to daven shachris with missing all the Amens in the middle. The only question is which Amens but the other Amens for sure he'll miss. So it can't be that he'll daven shachris. It must be that he'll daven Musaf. So if he davens Musaf with him still there's a condition that he allowed to do it only if he Here's the amen. In Shachris, there's no such condition. That's the way Rabbi Khanan suggests Shat and Yerushalmi. In Anav Gimel, he has a discussion whether it's best whether women are in tefillah musafim. We've discussed this already in connection with Rebekah Vega, who quoted the Bessamim Rosh that women are exempt from Musaf because it's only because of Karbanos the so women are exempt from Karbanos. He quotes Slach, the bihuda, as saying that women are Pata from Musaf because it's a Mitzvot Sasei Shazman Gramma. The only reason women are high in other Tevilas is because the Gemara says in Brachas Nafchaf Amud Bey that it's Rachamei but since Musaf is not Rachamei it's Karbanos women are exempt as a mitzvah, to say, Shazman, Rabbi like many other achronim, uh, debate this point. However, the bottom line is what I'd like to quote. The bottom line, Rebbe Hanan says, I see that if you cannot daven with a minion later, then you should have a musaf and daven shachris. However, he said this is clear to him on Shabbos and Yantif. If you walk into Shul late on Shabbos or Yantif, then you should have, and you missed Shachris, you should have Musaf before Shachris. He says on a regular weekday, where let's say Rosh Chodesh, when there's a Musaf, there he's not so convinced. Because since Shemona Esrei of Shachris has 18 or 19 brachas, Musaf only has 7 brachas, maybe the first Shemona Esrei of Shachris is more Mikudash. And we have a din that Mikudash takes precedence over other requirements, other values. And therefore, on a regular day, he's not 100% sure. He did not say that it's not true, he just said you would have to think about it more. But in the bottom line, Rabbi Tzolchanan said, if you daven musaf, before shachris, is the best way to fulfill tefillah b'tzibur, even though it means you daven musaf before shachris. Interesting to note, that Rabbi Chaim is quoted as saying something completely different. The customs of Reb Chaim, the Minhagim of Reb Chaim, were collected and printed in a little sefer called Halichos Hagrach. Rav Moshe Steinbuch, in his sefer called chuvas Van Hagos, Chelek Dalit, collected many of these minhagim of the grach, and as is the custom of Rav Steinbuch, he made comments about it. And here... In Volume 4, he quotes a minig of Reb Chaim, and he said, Reb Chaim felt that if you come into shul, when the community is davening musaf and you daven Shachris, that's still considered tefillah Sibur. This is apparently completely opposed to the assumption of Reb B'tzor brought a raya from the Gemara in Brachas. The Gemara there says, if a person came into shul he, with and he already had davened, but he davened at home by himself. In other words, he fulfilled the mitzvah of tefillah, but he did not have the kiyum of tefillah b'tzibur. So when he goes into shul, if the community is davening, the gemara says, if he can daven tefillah nadava, then he should daven with him. Now, Reb Chaim pointed out, he's davening tefillah nadava, the community is davening tefillah chova. So, why is he Yotzei Tefillah B'Tzibur? It's a completely different concept of Tefillah. Rav Sternbuch pointed out that this comparison of Reb Chaim requires greater analysis. Because when you talk about Shachrus and musaf, they're two different Shemona Esres, they're two different Halachas completely. When you talk about Tvila chova and Tvilas nedava, so basically you're saying the same Shemona Esres. You're just saying one is a chauva and one is nadava. So, nadava, that the Gemara says, go together. That is considered filobutsibur. But who told you that Shachris and Musaf also go together? That's Rabbi Moshe Sternbuch's comment on this point. However, he pointed out that the Mishnah Bruah cites the opinion of Rabbi Hem without mentioning his name but says that this is clearly true. And he bases himself on a Gemara in Avada Zara. There is a din that if a person davens at home, be and chidus, and for whatever reason he can't get to shul, it's right, it would be appropriate for him to daven at the same time that Sibor davens. But based on the Gemara, it seems that if he davens Musaf, when the Tzibor is davening Shachris, that's not called at the time that tzibur is davening. But the Mishnah Bura adds that's only in the case where the person is not actually in shul; he's just trying to coordinate his davening with the davening in the shul. And then, if he davens shachris and they daven musaf, that doesn't coordinate. However, in mispala l'imoyim bevesaknesses mikre But if he does daven in the shul even though he's davening shachris and they're davening musaf, or vice versa, that's considered Tfilas satzibur. And he cites here, this is the opinion of the Tzlach and the Magan Giborim. So, Reb Chaim's opinion is upheld by the Psaq of the Mishnah Bura. Rav Steinbach would perhaps disagree, but the question really, in my opinion, comes up Quite often, in shuls that daven Mincha and Marev together, for example, in London, especially in the summer months, where Marev really should be davened, the Tzai is extremely late, so many shuls daven Mincha and Marev very early. They daven Mincha, let's say, before the plague, and Marev after the plague, or Mincha just before shkia, Marev just after shkia. But let's say a person comes to the shul, which I've seen very often in London. People come to shul, they haven't davened Mincha yet. The community davened Mincha, and it's already after plague, so they're davening Mariv. But he certainly can daven Mincha after plague, before shkia. so he wants to daven Mincha when they're davening Mariv. Is that considered Tfilah Betzibor? According to Yitzhak Hanan, I'm not really sure what would be the din in such a case. He assumed that you have to daven the same Tfilah. Now, it could be that this is considered the same tefillah like the Gemara and Brachas. On the other hand here, Marev and Mincha really are two different tefillahs because Marev is considered a chafzah shal rishus, Mincha is considered a chiyuf. I'm not sure what Rabbi Solchanan would say, but both according to Rabbi Chaim and even Rabbi Moshe Steinbach, in such a case they would join together and they would be considered tefillah b'tzibur. So basically we have three different opinions here, but Let's summarize. According to a person comes to shul when they're davening Musaf. If you haven't davened Shachris, you should daven Musaf. According to abkhaim you can daven Shachris and be mekayim Tfilah B'tzibur. According to Rav Steinbach, maybe you cannot fulfill Tfilah B'tzibur and if you can't fulfill Tfilah B'tzibur it would be better not to daven Musaf at all and maybe it would be better not to daven Shachris either. Maybe it would be better to... Just daven by yourself and not try to fulfill anything because you're losing on all counts. Unless you would say, well, he agrees with Bitzel Hanan that you can daven Musa first before Shachris in such a case. Other tshuvas that I want to quote today are printed in the Ein Yitzchak. Now, the volume Ein Yitzchak that I'm using is a volume that was recently done by this... Machon of Yerushalayim, Machon L'Otzat Sifrei Chachmei Chachmelita, in conjunction with Yeshivas Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan in New York. This edition that I have was printed seven years ago. It has in it comments that they gathered from Gdolim, who quoted the Ein Yitzchak, and there's a special kundras of of Rabbi Eliezer Simcha Rabinovich who was the Rav of Suvalk, and later was the Rav of Lomj. His particular copy of Ein Yitzchak was found by Machon Yushalayim. Was used by Machon Yushalayim, and they printed the comments of Rabbi Rubinowitz, Rabbi Simcha on the that were printed that were written in his particular copy of Ein Yitzchak. His uh, his uh, descendants helped Machon Yushalayim gather these works and one of them is today Rabbi Leza Simcha Weiss who's the Rav of Kfar O'eh, is also one of the um, Eniklach, one of the descendants of Rabbi Simcha of, of Lomj, of Suvalk, and he c- coordinated the work together with Machon Yerushalayim. In Tshuva number Bay's of Arachayim, the and Yitzchak was asked a question about a mikveh that was done very nicely, and women used the mikveh. The women who were called Nashim Sha'ananot. Now, I don't know how to translate the word Sha'ananot. Does he mean fussy? Does he mean uh, modern? Hard to say. But, the women, these women, did not want to use the mikveh because they said the mikveh was not clean when men used it as well. So they said that men cannot use the mikveh. The Rav who asked the question to Rabbi Khanan said that women have no right to make such a takana. Now, there was a side discussion how important is it for men to go to mikveh? We know there was a minog of going to mikveh because of Takana's Ezra. But that Takana has been abolished. Now, it's true that it was abolished, but someone who is meticulous and wants to observe this is considered a meritous act. He mentioned a very famous comment of the Rambam, that the Rambam said, it's true that I Paskind, that Takana's Ezra is no longer required, but in my whole life I never missed going to Mikveh due to takanas Ezra. And the Turk says, HaMachmit HaValava Bracha. Now, since certain people have accepted this as a custom, for them it's another. So, or for example, for a convert, that's a very important part of the gerus room to go to Mikveh. It would be a dindaraisa. So therefore, the Rav who wrote to Khanan said that uh, they have no right to make such a takana. And Rabbi Yitzhak discussed the issue. Part of the discussion is how important is Tefilas Ezra today. And the bottom line of Rabbi Yitzhak in this particular question was it is proper to build a mikka for, for men men who are meticulous about going to mikveh, especially Rosh Kipper, Kippur, Regalim, should have the right to go to the mikveh, and therefore we should build a mikveh for men. He says, this is the custom all over. And then he says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, should help you to fulfill the your idea, to build a mikveh for men, and here's the key line. In order that me, that women should have their own clean mikveh. Now, here in the comments of the ha'arot that are printed in the back of the, of this volume, they quote a tshuva of Rav Moshe Feinstein. Rav Moshe Feinstein, in Igros Moshe Yoredeya Chelek Base. Simon Sadi has a whole discussion about mikveh, different laws of the, of the mikveh. He mentions here the part of the problem of having uh, men go to a mikveh. But one of the points he makes is we have to discuss how serious is the issue. Women who say they don't want men to go to their mikveh But the bottom line is, they'll go. We're talking about women, nashim kshirot, women who are, you know, basically religious women, who are going to go, they won't be comfortable, they won't be as happy, but they'll go. Or is the question really that maybe some women won't go. Maybe the fear of going to a mikvah that they feel is not clean, will prevent them from going to Mikvah, which would be obviously a terrible, terrible thing. The question is, what was exactly the situation? Rabbi Moshe, at the end, when this is the point that I'd like to make, the point is that women have a right to make such a takana. Because if it's a, it would be a nisayon, a real test for them, and they don't have to go into this test, whether they'll be meticulous enough to go to mikveh, even though they feel it doesn't meet their cleanliness standards. And then Rav Moshe says, this is what Rabbi, the, the Ein Yitzchak said, this is what the the, the Yitzchak said, and Paskin. Because the question is what the words exactly meant. Maybe Rabbi Tzulchanan thought that they cannot stop women, men from going to the mikveh, until they build a a new one. But he said, no, I think that Rabbi Tzulchanan meant that women cannot make such a takana. His whole point in the tshuva was to say that Men should build a mikveh, they should have their own mikveh. In fact, Reb Moshe says that you do have to impose a community tax to build a mikveh for men. And even if a person would say that he's not going to use that mikveh, he still should be part of the community to pay for the mikveh because it's a proper thing to have such a mikveh in a community it's a it's a need of the community and that's what rebitz alkhanan really related to but Ramosha felt that women could make such a takana as long as there was no even if there was no alternative now of course this question has come up various times in america i don't know you know the particular cases in different cities what happened but it is interesting to see how rebitz alkhanan thought Such a takana, the essence of the takana would be to build a new mikveh for men. But he did not say clearly whether the women have a right to make such a takana, and Reb Moshe said they did, whereas in Reb Zalchanan, I think you could interpret differently than Reb Moshe did. One of the, uh, again, an interesting point how people related to Reb Zalchanan was in Simon Dalit of Ein Yitzchak. There, it's a long discussion if Hidur Mitzvah is a Biblical requirement, is the Raisa, or it's only of Rabbinic nature, the Rabbana. Now, Rabbi of begins by saying, well, he's really more of a theoretical discussion, more of what he called a pilpul, about the idea of Hidur Mitzvah. He quotes, there are Gdolim who already raised this issue, the Shagas Aryeh, and he brought different proofs and some of the proofs he argued with. The bottom line is, Rabbi thought that it was definitely the Rabbanah. He, His main proof is from a certain rush in Bavakamah. The Gemara there discusses how much a person should pay extra for Hidur Mitzvah. So, one opinion of the, the Gemara says you should pay a third. But the question was, how do you figure out the third? A third milavar or a third milagaf? The Rush said, since this is a question that was left in doubt by the Gemara, we would say the bottom line you go lakula. The commentary on the Rush, the Pilpullah Harifta, says there the reason you go lakula is because he admits it and that's the bottom line of the Psaq of Rabbi Hanan, that Hidra Mitzvah is Drabana. Now, one could certainly argue the interpretation of Rabbi Hanan. In the He'arot, in back of the Machon Yerushalayim edition of E'en Yitzhak, they quote Rabbi Gifter, the Rosh Shiva of Tels, as saying, that there's no proof from this rush because it could be interpreted that Hidor Mitzvah is the Arisa, But how much is the Araisa? That is only drabanan. Perhaps mid Araisa there's a requirement of Hidor Mitzvah, but it could be any amount of money. When the Gemara gave an example of a third or, or a limit of a third, maybe that limit is the Rabbanon. And therefore, if there's a suffix of the Rabbanon, you would go Lakula. But the basic mitzvah, Hidu Mitzvah, is the You We have this concept in a number of places. For example, uh, Tosefa Shabbos. There's a din, according to many Rishonim, that you must add to Shabbos, Midaraisa. There's a din, Tosefa Shabbos Midaraisa. How much do you have to add? So, there is a Rabinu Peretz in Masechus Beitzah that talks about a half an hour. Most Rishonim think that Midaraisa Anything you add, there's no Shia. Rav Zevin has the discussion about this in his Sefer, Laura Allah. And he quotes that many people think that there are two dinim and Tosev Shabbos. The Doraisa is, you know, anything. Then there are laws of more than uh, anything. But the basic law is any amount is Tosev Shabbos. Here also, you could say that Hidur Mitzvah is Doraisa, but the amount is the Rabana the footnotes pointed out that Rabbi Yitzchak Yerucham Diskin wrote a letter, a long letter, where he felt that Hidur Mitzvah is Daraisa, and then he quotes Rabbi Hanan. And he <coughs> he interpreted the rush, as I said, as Rav Gifter did. And then he said, I found in the Sefer Hayakar, the precious book of Rabbi Hanan, that he thought that it's the rice, that he thought um, the whole din of Hidu drabanan, and he said with all due respect to Reb Yitzchel he was so sharp that he made a mistake here and he should be forgiven for it. The Stei quotes this letter of Reb Yitzchel Kiruch Diskin, and he said that you could interpret the rush either way. What the ma'or e'neinu, ha'gaon mikovne, the one who lit, lights up our eyes, the gaon of kovne, did not make a, such an obvious mistake. He does not require any slicha kapara that he said. You shouldn't have written that because he did not do anything wrong, he interpreted the rush one way, you could interpret the rush a different way, but the language of Yitzhak Yeruchim Diskin should not be used when you're talking about Maar Eineinu Hagolm Mikovna. The last tshuva I'd like to mention today would be a a tragic story that was found in the Yerodea section of Ein Yitzhak about a person who was wealthy, And he married off his daughter to quite a a fine sherech. And he gave him a lot, a lot of money. Now, this person, the father-in-law, has become rather indigent. And his younger daughter became engaged to someone else. In halacha, it's called vit kasher. They made it kashut. They made some sort of a connection. Now, the older daughter, then passed away. And she left two daughters. One twelve years old, who was unfortunately a mute. And the other was five years old. The father-in-law spoke to the his real son-in-law and he said to him, the son-in-law said he would like to marry the sister of his wife. The question would be, could the father cancel naim? for his younger daughter, without permission of the Khatan. The father is very upset that he's leaving over his money, which he had given to the son-in-law, and he's giving over his, do- his granddaughters to some stranger. He would rather have his own daughter take care of her nieces and marry this fellow, <coughs> especially when one of the daughters is unwell. And the, the two orphans themselves say they want to be with the sister, with their aunt. <coughs> the person who wrote the question wanted to allow the person to cancel the tznajim without paying the fee. And this is the letter of Rabbi al Khanan. The bottom line is, he said, this is considered an onus. There is obvious objective reasons why the person would want to have his younger daughter marry the, his former son-in-law. And therefore, you do not have to pay a knas. He also said the knas is generally imposed as a fine for the disgrace of the of breaking a shidduch. But there's no disgrace in this case. Everybody who knows the story will know that they broke the shidduch not because they didn't like the younger chassan but because under the circumstances it would be more proper for the aunt to marry her brother-in-law and raise their children. So he felt there's no reason for a knas at all. And then he said, of course, the chassan should understand this, the proposed chassan should understand it and not have any claims at all. But even if he does have claims, you don't have to pay the fees. Interestingly enough, in those days I don't not aware of this today. Today we break off engagements. Unfortunately, they're broken right and left. Maybe sometimes they're fortunate they break off. But nevertheless, we have no system today of paying for a broken engagement. Uh, apparently in those days they really did pay a certain hefty fee for breaking an engagement, and here Abutzal Hanan said in these in this case you don't have to do it. Interestingly enough, in the comments of a Rab, Rabino, Rabinovich, the Rav of Suvak and Lamj, he questioned the de HaDemuchach. He said, is it so self-evident that you're allowed to break off a shidduch in such a case? Wouldn't you say, on the other hand, that the younger daughter would prefer marrying her husband of, who had not been married before, who had no children? Is there an obvious de HaDemuchach in such a case? Interestingly enough, how he questioned with the P'sak of Hanan, but I would assume the P'sak of Hanan was the one that was accepted in that, that time.